I did give my third speech, my arts communication class yesterday about green death care. Have you heard about this? Is this like turning yourself into a tree when you die? The process goes that you can compost human remains into soil and then that can be used to grow a tree. So sort of indirectly, the nutrients in your body after death could be made available to a tree or other organisms, which I love that idea. I, I myself want to go back to nature and I, I think more too. of us should. So I gave a speech, a problem solution speech, where I explained the problems with the current death care industry and the funeral homes. And I actually didn't know this. Do you know the history of like funeral services in the United States? No. So you would, as a history buff, you would like this because Do tell. I researched and found that prior to the civil war, the most common form of funeral service and burial was just an at-home funeral service, commonly in the parlor room of someone's home. And then Mm -hmm. the body would be physically buried in the earth near the home or or at the the site where the the people lived. And Mm. that's why it was called burial, because you buried the body in the ground. And that was the end of the story. And you allowed nature to compost in the soil, just like it does with anything else. Um, but it was during the Civil War, the fallen soldiers, the family members wanted their bodies back, right? So someone came up with the process of embalming the body, which is extremely common nowadays when most people, if you're having a funeral, when you die, your body gets embalmed, which is essentially the blood gets drained from the body and it is replaced with commonly formaldehyde, which is a very mm-hmm. toxic chemical, mm-hmm. but it's used because it can preserve the body which obviously in modern times we like because that then gives you seven to 10 days between when the body dies and when you can have your funeral. And that allows for time for family to travel. But so the history of that, the soldiers, their bodies were embalmed so that they could be transported back by horse and carriage to the families where they would have a funeral service. Mm. But again, that was not very common for the general public. It was really just fallen soldiers during the civil war. But what turned embalming into a very common funeral home process and has lasted over a century is when Abraham Lincoln died. His body was embalmed and his body was toured around the United States so that everyone everyone could see his body. And that was the first time in history that the general public got to see what an embalmed body looked like. And I guess we liked it. it That's so weird. So that's the, a little bit of history. And then, so of course, you know, the funeral home industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. So yeah. I, I just went into the, the problems of the current industry and proposed a, a solution being green burial, you know, cause the way it currently is, if you get um, put in a casket, that's a metal or a wood casket, which is a lot of materials use and carbon yeah. um, for those materials. And then you're, sealed in that box put in the ground and you have no connection to the earth whatsoever and really these graveyards they more resemble like a fort knox than they do a laying of rest to the body and and giving the body back to earth so these green burial practices such as human composting or even natural burials like they used to be and are much more common in other countries not the united states but those are actually sequestering carbon and creating Mm. beneficial environments and even cremation is touted as being much more environmentally friendly than a casket burial that's actually not true they 
some studies have been done and both emit about 500 pounds of carbon, which is roughly the equivalent of driving from Boston to Washington, D.C. Wow. Magnify that on the scale that humans die at, not to be like sober about it, but somber, somber, but yeah, so I gave my speech about that. Heck yeah. Turn me into a tree. Turn me into a fruit tree when I die. Yeah, totally. It's possible. Look up Recompose. They're a company based out of Washington State, I believe. And they're doing it. Send your bodies there, folks. <laughs> Be sustainable even when you die. Yeah, exactly. I'm still hung up on the fact that Abraham Lincoln was toured around and bombed. Well, well I mean, it shows how much he was beloved. I mean, well, and to be, he was toured in the, the northern states, to, to clarify. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't the United States. He was toured in the, the northern states <laughs> uh, after he was assassinated. Good. That's a fun John, fact. By, by yeah. John Malk's booth on April 14, yeah. 1865. Well, also another interesting connection about oh, like know. where, how funeral services come about. The, the modern day funeral services that we know of where you have the funeral service about a week or 10 days after the, the person dies usually and you that gives time for family to travel. Mm-hmm. That process only happened and it happened concurrently with the rise of the automotive industry because now people could travel. Family could travel to view the body. None mm-hmm. of that was possible before embalming or before automobiles. That's crazy. So, All right, Miss Abby. So let's talk about your internship and kind of where you are um, in comparison to that last time. Um, you spoke with Peter. Um, yeah. How's your internship going? It's going well still. So since I talked to you guys last, um, I took a little bit of a field trip different from the first field trip I took, but this one was actually a day out in the field with field services. And so field services, water quality technicians go around to various sites in the city, cities, and they collect water samples, drinking water samples or wastewater samples, and they bring it to our lab in Millbrae to test. So we test you know, various things. We have like a bacteriology, parasitology, inorganics, organic section. So we test the drinking water and the wastewater to make sure that it's okay for the people of San Francisco. So I went alongside one of my coworkers, Eric, who's a field service worker, and we went to the San Francisco airport. They're one of our clients. So we, there's eight different water sites there. We test their drinking water for them. We went to this place called the Polgus Water Temple, and it's this really beautiful area, and the SFPUC made it into a park for people to enjoy, but there's also a water pipe there that we tested from, and we also tested from a couple sites in Redwood City, which is a city surrounding the San Francisco area. So we just did that. I collected some samples in the field. All we test for is chlorine and the temperature of the water. And those field services workers work directly in tandem with the engineers that the SFPUC hires. And those engineers perform various testings. And so they request from the field services workers, hey, we need you to test this water site for chlorine, but also maybe dissolved oxygen. Or, hey, you need a test for chlorine total chlorine, free chlorine, and ammonia. And is we this need... is what you just described, the testing of these different things, and that one organization requests it from the field services team. Is that something that is 
on a scheduled timeline or you could just get a phone call or an email one day and have to add that to your team's to-do list? Yeah, so I found out that the field services workers, I'm not sure how many there are, but there's field like services on worker. Call, I guess. Yeah, they're at um, different facilities. So the ones that I worked with are from the um, Rollins Road facility, which is just a 10 minute drive away from me. And they actually have weekly schedules. So they have places set up that they already go to weekly. So for example, Monday, they go to say like SFO. And Tuesday, Thursdays, they sample from this one site. Um, but they need a test twice a week because the engineers need it that way. The engineers are there to let these field services workers know, I guess maybe before they go out into the field, what you need to test for. So they always need to test for total chlorine. Um, but sometimes the engineers, if they if they haven't gotten a read on the ammonia within the water at a specific site, they might call the field services workers and say, hey, today at this one site, you need to test for free ammonia as well as chlorine. Um, so I think that's gotcha. something that the engineers request before they go out during the day. Um, but they always test for total chlorine. Um, and they have this fun little doohickey, this gadget that tests it all for them. They used to do it by hand, which I think honestly would be more fun. And you're you're more likely to learn what you're testing if you do the experiments by hand or the, yeah, the, the testing by hand. But they, because of the quality kind of control aspect, every single field services worker needs to be doing it the exact same. So there's no discrepancies. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. because we're testing drinking water. Accuracy is you know? important. Yeah. yeah. We don't want a wrong reading from somebody who's doing it by hand and then report it and then do like a recall or like shut down water mains mm -hmm. and then it not being true. So yeah, unfortunately, big consequences for that. Yeah. So unfortunately it all has to be the little handheld device. It's way quicker, but it was fun to see that side. And then I went with him to deliver those samples that I collected that day to the lab where the chemists now take those samples and test for different things. So it was really fun to see that aspect of the job and see how it's all kind of interconnected. There's communicate with field services workers, field services workers sample and deliver it to the chemists and then by, you know, so on and so forth. It was, it was fun to see, but another update from the last time we talked is I'm going to be transferring to a different lab location. Goodbye, drinking water. Hello, wastewater. Yeah, wastewater. So yeah, at the wastewater facility, they test for different things like total suspended solids, total volatile solids. I think this lab is more technical. They also mm -hmm. test for metals. So mm -hmm. making sure that we're not... And pathogens. Yes, and pathogens. But yeah, metals is specific to Southeast where I'm going. And mm -hmm. this lab in particular also makes sure that we are not discharging wastewater that doesn't meet EPA requirements into the bay. So mm -hmm. we have to clean the wastewater to a certain degree to meet EPA guidelines. And if we don't, we get severely fined. So that I'll be working with those chemists who are there to keep the wastewater as clean as we can. Do you think you're going to like this new transfer better or worse or just I, different? 
I think it's just going to be completely different. Even the labs, each lab has a different personality almost. So the drinking water lab that I was at was very quiet, clean, kind of like very corporate vibes. It gave me corporate vibes. The wastewater lab I visited before, it's very, uh, gives me Dale Earnhardt Dirty. <laughs> yeah. Gives me country vibes like a little bit grungy a little bit dirty a little like bit the, the vibes because of the the people working there or a little um, bit of both it's just the personality of the lab the the different equipment the different um colors of the walls you know the way it's set up it's just a little bit dirtier and more hands-on which i'm excited um to see but you know i'm just taking this internship for what it is i'm just trying to get as much as i can out of it and learn as yeah, much so as what I did can. What did you get out of your experience in water quality? These, how you've been there for like two months, right? Yeah. So this, I'm technically still going to be under water quality at the wastewater lab, but I was mm. at the drinking water lab. So what right. I learned at the drinking water lab is the SFPUC is extremely aware of the quality of our water. They are testing it constantly every day, even on the weekends. There has to be chemists there to test it just in case something bad happens. They have so many chemists working, you know, till late in the day, just in case a sample comes in late, but it has to be tested within like a certain time frame. Um, it, people are really committed to working there and the organization is very like they just want to keep the community safe um and i think that's all that's something you know they have they're required to do but i also think that it's something that it seems like the chemists like to do um i've i kind of not interviewed people there but i've talked to people there and all of them have really told me that they really love working for the city in particular in the drinking water lab because they know that the testing that they're doing is directly contributing to the health of the community. And it really makes them feel like they're making a difference within the city. So it was really fun to see there. It's much more clean there. Um, but I'm excited to look at the wastewater side. Directly at the drinking water lab, I was in sample receiving. And so sample receiving um, is a place where we check in all of the samples that the SFPUC is testing. So we're constantly monitoring water quality at all of our respective sites in cities um, that outsource water, or we outsource water to. Um, so cities like Millbrae, Redwood City, um, San Mateo, San Ramon, things like that. And so the samples that we get in the lab come from places like fire hydrants, um, reservoirs without within the city, um, water wells, groundwater wells, and we even had a program going on where childcare facilities could send in their sink water for lead testing. Um, we get it from the bay. Um, field services workers go out on a boat and get it from the bay. And we also have um, a pay for lead testing that households can do if they're concerned about their lead levels in their in their pipes. So in my lab, we have a wet chemistry department. We test for different bacteria or parasites. Um, we have an inorganics lab and also an organics lab. And at Southeast, where I'm going to go, they test for various metal concentrations. 
Um, the drinking water lab specifically actually tests for PFAs. What's your favorite thing to do at work that you're required to do? Yeah. Okay. My favorite thing that I did at the drinking water lab was making media. And I know we talked about this the first week, but that was so so much fun. And I also really appreciated being able to learn how to do the sample receiving chain of custody um, sheets. So it's kind of a quality control, quality assurance thing is making sure that we are getting the correct sample in the correct bottle because some samples, for example, PAs, they're called PAs, presence or absence, the bottles that they come in have a little bit of a chemical, a little powder within the bottles. So we need to make sure, okay, if this sample came in in the PA bottle, like, is it in the PA bottle or is it in a different bottle? Because that screws things up. It needs to be in the correct bottle. There needs to be a right amount of sample because if there's not, the test isn't going to run right. The concentrations aren't going to be right in the tests that the chemists are doing. So, um, kind of just learning that aspect as well and making sure that I'm checking things off properly for the chemists, I think was really important. And I'm glad that I was able to learn it within the two months that I was there because I feel like it's something that you're constantly learning on the job just in case something different comes up, like a problem comes up and you have to think on your feet on how to fix it. I'm happy that I was able to get it down Almost perfect. Almost perfect. Nice. So what do you anticipate to do at the wastewater treatment? Yeah. So at the wastewater lab, I think that I'm going to be helping again in sample receiving, but it'll be slightly different um, because I will be getting cake samples, which are from the biodigesters. They're solid samples. I'll be checking in wastewater samples. Have there been any challenges you've encountered working in drinking water, either personal tasks that were challenging or any challenges amongst the department there that you have observed in terms of, you know, meeting their sustainability vision? So I would say a problem that I have seen directly, it's kind of a bummer because I'm not necessarily within the sustainability group. Um, I'm more of like quality assurance, but I will say one problem that I have seen is people tend to want to stick to what they do best instead of really branching out. I feel like I'm the only one there who has had not had the opportunity, but I'm the only one who's taken advantage of the opportunities provided by the city to go on these field trips, go on a field services day, or maybe oh, explore so these have been a different optional location. Things available to all employees. This isn't specific to your intern to career pathway program you're on. No, I think maybe that is a benefit just because I, you know, they don't necessarily need me, you know, so sure, I can. That's true. I can go, but um, COVID also kind of hindered their field trips that they've put on. Um, I'm actually going on one at the end of November to the East Bay where I grew up um, because they have pipelines and sanitation um, facilities over there. So we're going to do another tour there, but they're finally being able to offer these tours again in person. And I just don't think that people want to do them. There are some people that do take advantage of it. 
but I feel like every single person should go on one. It was really. Yeah. It's kind of like seeing how the sausage gets made. Exactly. And like, I feel like it's something that they need to take advantage of, but I tend to see people at the place where I work get stuck in their ways. They Mm. only know, not only know how to do one thing, but they know how to do it well and they're getting a paycheck and it is what it is, which is, you know, to each their own, make your bread. But I think that there needs to be maybe more a more more push by the supervisors to send their employees on this instead of making it an employee's decision, because maybe the employees don't know that it's a good idea. Maybe they say, oh, well, maybe my supervisor would rather have me in the lab. But I don't think that's the case. So I feel like supervisors really need to push their employees to do these things, um, these almost extracurricular activities type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost professional development in a way for it is that organization, I would think. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we also offer um, another really great thing that the SFPUC offers is they are members um, for a lot of like nonprofit organizations or organizations in general. For example, the AWWA, the American Waterworks Association. Um, and they put on, you know, seminars, um, educational, professional development, um, Zoom meetings and things like that. And the employees of the SFPUC get to attend those for free instead of paying like up to $200 or more for one session. And mm-hmm. I don't think people take advantage of that either. I am <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's great to see I get it for free. But I think that also should be something that's kind of advertised more or encouraged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool well we will be excited to check in with you in the next couple of weeks and hear about what you are learning about wastewater quality testing I yeah. Uh, yeah. You, I'm so excited we love talking about wastewater management mm-hmm. That's IBD queens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no I'm I'll, I'll be sure to ask um about wastewater problems and things like that when I get there I'll update you guys soon. Thanks again for listening to the UE podcast. This has been another thrilling episode of the internship series with Abby Kubota. 